This is Up Your RPG, helping you up your role-playing game. In this episode, building dynamic backstories for both player characters and NPCs that won't box you in, allowing for growth throughout a campaign, and to encourage improv and more dynamic decision-making. Let's get to it. Thanks for joining us. I am here with my co-host, Michael, as always, and we are joined by Emily and Rick. Michael, get us started. Hey, thanks for joining us. Uh, as Art said, we're going to be talking about uh, building those dynamic backstories up for characters, and uh, two of our fellow players from under the library are here. And uh, let's start with you, Emily. Uh, why don't you give us some thoughts on uh, what you're coming up with for your backstories for your characters and how it opens up possibilities for you? Well, I always want my character to have something that they're looking for, some sort of goal outside of the game. I mean, maybe that's an obvious one, but um, it gives me more of a reason for all of the decisions that I make in-game. And I also... I think you put a lot into your your trinkets too, right? Like those those objects that your characters have. I always think of like your character, your character is kind of that quintessential case of having an object with them that at any point gives uh, the GM an opportunity to pull something in and push along, right? Well, if I'm going to carry something around with me, it's going to have some interest. Um, do you want examples of these things? I mean, yeah, are we, yeah. okay. okay. Yeah. Um, so if you haven't listened to season one, my character Florence had a locket that her sister had made for her. And it also happens that her sister was in a mental institution. And uh, it also happens that that locket matched a, a locket that came to us through a spoilers for season one. Um, well, but but I think that's okay because I think that's a big point, right? Is that opened up an opportunity as we were moving the game along, right? That whole second locket that came through the portal and we got to interact with, none of that happens without your original creation of that first locket, right? And that that's what um, brought all those possibilities. But it also created this whole other opportunity for you to interact with Florence and build on that relationship. When you ha when you came up with that locket, did you have a specific story behind it, or did you have in mind something that you wanted it to do, Emily, or did you leave that open to happen later? That's a really good question. I actually specifically left it open to see what Michael would do with it. Like there were a few different ways that it could have gone. It could have been that, like the locket had some mercury in it from the jewelry making process and I was being poisoned. It could have, you know, there were, there were things in the real world that could have happened with the locket, but then there were also things through the portal and things a little more magical or surreal. But I essentially just wanted to have something that was a, that was an obvious link to my backstory because I hate to come in and just say, and here's who I am, and here's what I've done. 
So I carried around this item that obviously meant a lot to me, was very significant. And then um, as I interacted with the world and the other characters, it could lead to discussions of other things mm-hmm. like my sister. Yeah. And I, I think that's, that's an important point is to not, uh, you know, it's important to, to really think about what your character's backstory is, but you don't want to get so detailed in it that um, you lock yourself into a particular storyline that if, as things progress through the campaign, if those things don't match up or even worse are contradictory, you've, you've boxed yourself into a corner with that. Um, and you then need to either redo your backstory or uh, you're, you're kind of stuck. Uh, so I, I think those elements of having something that's important but leaving it open uh, till later. Uh, what do you think, Rick? Yeah, I, you certainly don't want to box yourself in, um, and I think that's a probably a great segue. So when I when I build characters, um, I sort of take the Freudian id ego and super ego approach in terms of deciding what is their sort of primal drive mm-hmm. and interest, then sort of adding on a layer of sort of rationality, and then sort of you know right and wrong for that character based on their baby history, um, and then for I think my purposes in terms of entertainment as somebody who's played for quite a while, I'll try and take one of those and put them on their head um, and see how that um, uh, works into that character's dynamic. Um, and so why don't, why don't you just give us a little example of how you flip <laughs> yeah, one of those on Yeah, I'd love to hear head. an example yeah. of that. <laughs> um, fair. Uh, so I started with Phil donner in the first campaign and that was really uh in terms of backstory and we'll probably get into this in terms of inspiration for characters and maybe another episode but um generating a character from a point that i knew right which is another sort of i think good talking point if this is your first time doing something like this or you're a little uncertain i think using what you know and what you're familiar with are you about to confess to something here (laughs) no (laughs) as as a as a (laughs) As a, as a launching point for a character, I think makes a lot of sense so that you can talk and reason and have that sort of point of view that you're familiar with. It will probably end, uh, lend an air of credence or maybe of authenticity to your character that, that maybe um, you wouldn't feel otherwise. Um, and then I felt that was a bit one dimensional to have sort of a doctor or somebody in medicine or somebody sort of in that, in that vein and said, okay, so what, what in his history could have um, sh- shook him to the point where that's maybe in his past in the rearview mirror and there's maybe uh, echoes to that. And then where do you go from there? Um, and sort of added this sort of history and sort of molded the character around that. And when it came to sort of how do you build that it ego sort of super ego for him, um, you know, <laughs> uh, he was challenged by some severe trauma and that shook sort of his basic sort of ego um, and sort of sense of sort of basic rationality. And when he was faced with things that would trigger that um, error as his sanity depleted and that rationality became more and more fleeting, um, things like cannibalism became um, a mirror onto the dysfunction of his uh, past. Um, and so while that may not be overtly apparent to everybody playing or our listeners, there was some sort of through line to that character for me in terms of uh, his sort of, I don't know, I don't want to say twisted creativity um, for how he was sort of played. Um, But I think that 
and to me that became really important later on in kind of discovering his character because from the onset right yeah uh, I, I think you played him pretty loose and he was this quirky guy um that everybody had a hard time taking seriously right like he had a lot of events early on in the season that would really lend himself to just being kind of the joker character um and and not like the batman joker but like an actual just kind of joker silly a little, character a little batman that's true yeah there was a little creep in there definitely <laughs> yeah, that, that's true uh but i but believe late- he drank my blood mm-hmm. later I mean, yeah that was later. a little later but oh yeah. well but still <laughs> as long as it was later <laughs> let's not let's not give everything away <laughs> so the but that didn't, you know, I, I think there's a, a tendency when we get into those goofy or silly characters, right? You can get locked into that. And then, you know, we could talk about Bello in this sense, too, and how we're like moving him out of that track. But right, uh, that that trauma that you had laid out pretty well for yourself in understanding where Phil was coming from later on in the season, that leads to some tremendous revelations and some really emotional moments with that character. Yeah, very and, and that that to me is that really important dynamic moment where it's like not only as players and and participants are we going through this mode of discovery, but um, our, our characters are genuinely in this mode of discovery as well, right? You're finding emotions with Phil that you think he's either been able to compartmentalize or move past. And all of a sudden, due to something that happens in Grame, it really kind of breaks open that character. And uh, we saw that, you know, art with your character as well. And probably a good idea to, or a good point to kind of jump in and and talk about um, how you made this really quirky inventor into a similar situation, right? Having this uh, dynamic possibility. Yeah, so I, I actually have a bit of a different philosophy about backstories for characters, um, and uh, we'll get into some of my character creation in the character creation episode. But in terms of just the the background of a character, I actually like to leave that pretty open. Um, when I'm creating a character, I'm thinking more about motivation or personality and, uh, you know, what they're like when you meet them on the street. Um, and I like to let the backstory come through the campaign. So a a lot of what I, you know, I had this idea for, uh, Harold that, uh, you know, again, not to spoil too much, but that he had 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 a, a story that happened between him and his wife and it, with him as an invent, an inventor, but that was sort of a framework to build on. And I, I wanted to let that character growth happen and some of the details of that get filled in as we move forward. Uh, so I, I like to sort of let the past fill in as we move forward and to, to have a structure but I really get worried about trying to create a character that has something really rich and that I put a ton of time in and then have that not be able to change and grow as we're going forward. Because I find if I put too much work in in the beginning and even before the campaign starts, I get sick of the character pretty quick because I know them so well already. Whereas if I if I leave a lot of it open... I'm discovering the character as everybody else is rather than trying to reveal bits because no one's going to care as much about my character as I do. You know, revealing those things isn't going to be nearly as exciting to everyone else around the table as learning them will be to me later on. 
Uh, so Although, I, I kind of do it a little bit backwards. I can't remember your character from the one where we went to London and oh uh, yeah, it, or Scotland. And, yes, and you did have a reveal. Oh, with that the character. college athlete. Yeah, yeah exactly. Swimmer. And you know the interesting thing is that that developed as we went. Okay. It I didn't have that from day one. Okay. That so it was this. Um, and this will be a spoiler for anyone who wants to listen to Under Library, that we did a one-off that lasted, I don't know, six weeks. Um, and a, a very short version of the story, I played this, um, you know, sort of douchey um, Southern football player. Um, and he was very much the jock and, uh, you know, kind of a little arrogant. Um, and the, the what everyone else thought the backstory was is that he had dated this other character um, Bubba. Exactly, Bubba. Yeah. Um, roll Tide. Uh, so, oh. <laughs> right? It's even irritating in the past. Um, oh. But oh. It, it it turned out that she, he hadn't dated her. They were very close friends and she had helped him come out as gay. But I didn't know that. I just knew that they had some sort of a close relationship. I didn't know what that was. And as we went along that sort of just came to me. Uh, and that wouldn't have been able to come to me if I'd had that hard and fast backstory to begin with. Wow, I had no idea you didn't plan that. Yeah, I mean... I, that was a wonderful arc. Oh, thank you. Uh, it, it, it just sort of came as we were going through. Um, it didn't, like, I didn't come up with it on the spot by any stretch. Right. I, I sort of developed it as, as we went through the campaign. Huh. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. 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 So uh, how I'm does... thinking about how you... How do you kind of created a mask for that character? And you you did play on the surface for a while with him, and uh, that's that's pretty fast. You know, just being open to the possibility of what that character could become mm -hmm. is a major part of not boxing in any character, right? Being mm -hmm. being open to our personal revelations or the character's revelations as we move through a story, right? Mm -hmm. And and I think often those kinds of moments can can also happen from uh failed roles right or things yeah. that happen in the story to our characters very much so yep. yeah right that all of a sudden uh, there's a weakness that uh, we didn't expect to be there and somehow we have to find a way to to fill in where that came from or what made that and those present really great opportunities as well um somebody was about to add something i, I was just going to ask you from from a gm perspective how much backstory do you build into characters? And I, I would ask both both the GMs, uh, both you and Rick, um, Rick who GMs our D&D &D campaign um, and has GMed some other stuff. It, do you guys build, it, do you go deep into backstories for NPCs or do you play that on the fly or do you just leave them pretty shallow? So it, for me, it depends on the NPC. Um, but I mean, we have a major one right now, Richard, for instance, uh, that we've, we've been dealing a lot with. And I, I knew his demeanor, right? And I, that was the most important thing because as players, that's all y'all were going to kind of deal with was his demeanor, at least initially. Um, I, and I was curious how much he would kind of be absorbed by the group. And as he's, as he's grown with the group and we've kind of reached this point with him in this season, um, I've, I've realized the way he's acting and a, you know, possible accident where I forgot his accent for an episode and I had to 
deal with that. But right, that fed into his backstory, but it's certainly grown. And now, um, kind of like you're talking about art, right? He's fully revealed himself to me. Um, and and in the last couple of weeks, I've had these tremendous revelations as I think about Richard, right? I'm like kind of going to bed at night and thinking about, okay, what, what would Richard do in this situation and why? And trying to understand more about him. And so he's come along as we've as we've gone. But then there's plenty of others who I just want to have a quirk or something I deal with. And so I have I actually have a box of prompts that I draw from. And um, sometimes when I'm creating, uh, um, I don't like tropey NPCs. Like, right, I think back to season one and we had the the munitions dealer and she played the violin and she had the squeaky voice and her name was Squeaks. And I, she was one of my favorite characters just because like she didn't fit so well, but she really stood out to me, right? Like I could, I could ease into her personality and I felt like I knew who she was when I was playing her, even though I had no idea what her backstory was. And some of that just comes out of drawing something that, um, I don't know what it's going to be, but it's going to challenge me to play that NPC differently. And, um, and, and then for me, I'm, I'm open to the fact that as we go along, right, that whole backstory is going to reveal itself or we're going to leave that NPC, right? We have plenty of NPCs this season who are begging to have their backstories revealed and we have no idea if we're ever going to encounter them again. Um, but I haven't lost any time in developing that character either, right? I'm not committed to it. Um, you know, it's like there's not, you know, if you never go back and uh, see the cute Southern woman who knew Joe's future, right? I haven't lost hours putting together her backstory. And there's no sense of loss for me. But uh, there's a sense of loss for Joe. Agreed. Joe's been thinking about her. Yeah, I, I, I would be really disappointed if we don't find out more about her. I gotta say. Mm -hmm. right. right, but, but, but if you know, and there's others. But if you don't ever visit them, right? As a, as a GM, I, I haven't lost time, and there's no sense of losing that character, right? Because we're, if we're all in kind of this constant state of discovery, then there's no regret in how we're role playing. There's no remorse for not getting to something that we spent a lot of time on, but we're just, we're not going to deal with that. But Rick, I'd be curious because I think you'd probably take a much different approach to how you build out your NPCs. Yeah. And yeah, we're, what we're, I'll say is, we're, I was going to say, we're, we're in a pretty hack and slash campaign with you. So how much do you think about uh, your NPCs and, and their backstories? Well, first I'll say Lloyd is a character I think back a lot on from oh, season Lloyd. one. Oh, man. And yeah, that was so such great. an amazing dynamic that you just fell into because of my characters. Maybe it wasn't apparent, but need to be oversupplied because of his prior trauma. And so I was sort of tied to this loquacious, um, friendly, but Phil's relationship with Lloyd so. was great. It was, right. Yeah. It was wonderful. And it was just, I, my sense is that that was also on the, fly or at least through your cards or something like that michael um i don't but just, know if you had that dynamic up front. for me lloyd like the the main thing about lloyd is he wanted a friend right mm -hmm. he just he, he was <laughs> that he was that person who just wanted to be wanted so bad and he he tried so hard uh always and so when i said i would you'd be my best friend that was sort of oh. the that was yeah it's a big hook yeah. um from my perspective, yeah, I think it comes down to your group. 
and the dynamics, right? So for us, we have these sort of like uh, developed campaigns in a homebrewed setting, you know, in what we're currently playing in. So I can certainly see why, right, you're going to have a little bit more uh, character development from uh, from an MPC perspective. And in our sort of, you know, fun colloquial three-year now finishing D&D campaign, um, you know, of, of a very mad wizard, uh, from a pre-gen book, right? I mean, I take a lot of liberties and adding a lot of variance and nuance and improvisation that often bites me, uh, <laughs> you know, a day, a week, or two years later, you know, um, which is wonderful. I love having those little bombs that I get to step on and then I have to improvise or figure out a solution as a DM, you know, in terms of making things work from an NPC perspective, because you guys are a little bit more hack and slash, murder hobo, whatever you want to use in terms of a description, the the familiarity with your NPCs isn't, isn't built in. Um, the ones that stand out to me is you guys had rescued a party uh, that were trapped by drow. And I kind of improvised that they were a musical like quartet of ha of halflings. Um, and uh, they became sort of a signature for you guys. They and did. you escorted them back to a tavern that you own. And they are now like a standing regular musical troupe. And I think what I like about that is in the future, I'm going to have maybe a one-off where you guys are those sort of musical halflings mm -hmm. in a separate sort of one-off, right? Of like level one or level three characters. And that might be wonderful as a group of bards. That's sort of a spinoff, right? And so you can do that with some like NPCs you guys love, but then there are other NPCs that you guys have as, you know, a baby owlbear or things that you're like, we, it's adorable. We're going to take it along with us. And then literally the next session, you forget that you have this owlbear and then you're not moving it along or bringing it along or doing any interaction. And you kind of just leave this pet or this NPC sort of in a cave somewhere. And oh. it's not my role as the GM to sort of, right, like maintain these bonds. Yeah. Uh, but we, we are time, the worst. We are the worst. The worst. Right. So, <laughs> so I'm not going to invest you know, a plethora of effort in developing a, a you know, two-year sort of backstory to a character if you're going to just kind of leave them in a tunnel. <laughs> now, now, you know, but it's a give and take, right? And so it's very much modular and I think comes down to who you're playing with and what you guys want out of the adventure, right? If you but want I, that I, depth and backstory, then, then that'll happen. But I think that that example is a great one of the halflings that it, it you know, every, everyone has a different table and they're playing different systems. Um, but if you're if you're playing from a book, at any time you can uh, homebrew a, an NPC or a group of NPCs that makes the game that much richer and it allows for growth beyond the module. You know, you're going to create this this little homebrew based on this set of characters, which I think is, is great. And it's a great example of, you know, stay on book when you need to, but when you don't need to, go off book and, and try to create stuff because that's when, when real magic can happen. So that puts a wrap on this session of Up Your RPG. Thanks for joining us. You can always visit us at upyourrpg.com. Hopefully we've contributed to your game. Now go out and find a table.